Welcome back for another Whole Body Health with Dr. Salibi episode on the FLCCC platform. Today, the discussion is going to be about the mitochondria. And I have a guest with me that many of you already know, Dr. Mobin Sayed, affectionately known as Dr. Bean. He has joined me today for this discussion on mitochondria. And I'll let him introduce him to maybe a few of you out there who don't know him. And then we'll get started. Dr. Bean? Dr. Salibi, thank you very much for having me. And FLCCC, thank you very much for having these products, these content on your platform. So my name is Dr. Mobin Sayed. I'm a medical doctor and a teacher. I have a somewhat popular <laughs> YouTube channel as well, where I talk about medical concepts. And my way of talking about various things is that I talk with the mechanisms. So that is what we'll talk about today. Thank you very much for having me with you. It's always a pleasure. I just want to say a disclaimer that this information is for educational purposes only. And if you believe you have any kind of mitochondrial disease or dysfunction, please consult your physician for full evaluation and treatment. All right. Dr. Bean has some videos to share. I'm going to let him screen share and we'll discuss some of his images. Absolutely. So for talking about the mitochondrial health, what I'll do is very quickly, we'll set a foundation to understand what is mitochondria and why is it important for our health. And then we'll talk about various components and mitohealth in general. For the audience, whenever I look on this side, this is where one of my monitor screen is, and this is my other monitor screen. So I'm not avoiding the eye contact with you. I'm just looking at the screens. So first of all, mitochondria are present within our cells. So I usually make a very quick diagram of where the mitochondria are. So let's say this is our cell. In the center of the cell, we have our nucleus. From the nucleus, there are continuous orders that are coming out to the cell's machinery, which is outside of the nucleus, to say, hey, machinery, make following things which are going to be necessary to do this function or that function. Interestingly, you will appreciate this, that our cells are very efficient in their work. And so they make a little machine or enzyme, which does some function, and then the cell will tear it down. So if that function needs to be done again, then it is going to make that enzyme again. So there is continuous barrage of messages coming out of nucleus to say, make this, make that. So right outside of the nucleus, the central thing is nucleus, right outside of the nucleus surrounding it, is a number of factories called endoplasmic reticulum. And that reticulum has, or it's really a bunch of buildings you can imagine, microscopic buildings. That is the reticulum. Now, attached to the reticulum are small factories called ribosomes that can make proteins. Our cell has proteins that work as an enzyme and they do various functions. Now, of course, you would appreciate it that when there are a lot of factories and a lot of production happening, then, of course, we need a lot of energy as well. So surrounding this nucleus and these factories, the reticulum, there are a lot of tiny little guests. They used to not be in our cells, but they now are in our cells from ever. These are mitochondria. Mitochondria, their job is to take the fuels that we eat, so carbohydrates or proteins or lipids, whatever we eat, that is converted into small molecules that are used up in the mitochondria to produce substrate, as we say, tiny little molecules with oxygen that we breathe. These fuels and oxygen are combined in mitochondria to make 
energy, which is ATP, mm. adenosine triphosphate. So you can think of ATP as the currency of the cell. So we are in the US here. So in the US, we use US dollar. That is a currency that makes the things work. Here within the cell, the currency is adenosine triphosphate or ATP. If a cell has everything available, all the fuels are available, all the oxygen is available, but the mitochondria is not working correctly or optimally, and the cell cannot make enough ATP, this cell is not going to function. And if the cell is not going to function correctly because there is not enough energy, then whatever this cell is, if it is a muscle cell, it's not going to work correctly as a muscle. If it is a brain cell, it's not going to work correctly as a brain. If it is a bone cell or a blood cell or a liver cell, whatever cell it is, it's not going to function correctly if the mitochondria are not functioning correctly. And may I say, Dr. Salibi, that if mitochondria reach a point that they cannot work at all, then we cannot survive at all as well. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. It's like a flashlight with dead batteries. The light will not come on. Yeah. So with this understanding that where the mitochondria are present, the mitochondria itself has this little structure. Imagine that we have a bag. This is a oval bag, which I have cut to reveal what is inside. Within this bag, within this little structure, there is another tiny bag present in it. And then within the second bag is little material. You imagine that you have, a, you have a purse and that purse is filled with some jelly. And then you put that purse in another purse and that is a mitochondria. So inside these green things, that is the basic space within the mitochondria where various energy-related functions are happening. This little in, inner membrane, as we call them, membrane is just simply a layer this is an outer membrane and this is inner membrane. Inner membrane, if you ever said a human <laughs> or a living thing, where is it living? This inner membrane is the source of its life, not the spiritual, but the physical. Why? Because on this inner membrane are tiny little machines that we say electron transport chain. I'll explain that in a second. These tiny little machines pick up the fuels or the molecules made from the fuels you have eaten. And these little machines that are here will take oxygen that you breathe and then combine them to make energy. So this is where all the action is. Our life's essential action occurs here. And sadly, it is also very easy to disrupt these things. And once we disrupt other sad thing is it is very difficult for this machine to automatically repair or come out of it. So you will have to provide some external help for it to recover. So now let me very quickly show you what are various things that are present in here. So this is that inner membrane and these little <laughs> set of rounded things are what is called the electron transport chain. So here I'm going to Simplify this one. This is the electron transport chain, all of these things here. Today, when we are talking about the mitochondrial health and various supplements, most of those supplements are going to be helping these little machines here to function correctly, which also means that when we are talking about mitochondria not working correctly, these machines are either defective from genetic abnormalities 
or these are defective because of some acquired problem, some pathology, hypoxia or ischemia or some other toxicity that occurred from a pathogen, etc. So this is what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to now very quickly transfer us to another diagram, which is a little more clean version of this one. And we'll use this diagram primarily. Here, once again, this is that mitochondrial membrane that we were talking about, this membrane. And these are the proteins on it. So I'm going to classify them. This is a transport chain. This is called complex one. This is complex two, complex three, very creative names, <laughs> then complex four. And finally, there is another, this little structure is called ATP synthase. This is what actually makes the ATP. All of our life's, you know, work. We go out, we do some work, we earn some money, then we have food at the table, we breathe. And eventually this little machine would use all the molecules produced by that and all the energy produced that from those activities to finally make ATP. And then this ATP is what keeps us working. Now, right. Dr. Salibi, would you like to talk about what abnormalities can occur here? Or would you like to start talking about various supplements and how do they impact this? Well, Mobin, this is good that you brought this graphic up because it explains the different complexes. And there are some dietary supplements that actually affect these in some good ways. So there, we should probably distinguish between mitochondrial dysfunction being due to stress, both a physical stress or toxicities, and then there's uh, mitochondrial diseases that are usually genetic. So maybe the genetics will have difficulty reversing those kind of um, untoward effects on our bodies, but with the stress, oxidative stress, stress of, of, of work, over, being overwork, over-exercising, things like that, and also infectious diseases. Uh, you see mitochondrial dysfunction when you're infected with some kind of chronic infectious disease, whether it's virus or tick-borne illness or others. So for instance, a lot of the diagrams show things like NADH, NAD+. So to support that, there are some dietary supplements that support NAD, something called nicotinamide mononucleotide or NMN, is something that can be helpful in people with mitochondrial dysfunction. And we'll talk about how we could even test for that later. But that is this NMN is a precursor to NAD. So that might be important. Uh, we're probably not going to get into dosing amounts, but there's in general ranges, I'll say anywhere from 50 to 100 milligrams per day of NMN that can be taken orally or sublingually. Of course, you see pictured prominently as coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. That is a very popular dietary supplement as there are a lot of CoQ10 depleters out there that can diminish this. For instance, statin drugs are notorious for depleting CoQ10, which is necessary for you know, function. Uh, in this case, it's pointing sort of at complex one, two, and three. So that's an easy dietary supplement to take. The other is copper. Again, copper is prominent here in a couple of places. Copper, we have to measure on occasion if we're taking a lot of zinc. So zinc and copper have to be in balance. With the pandemic, we were having a lot of patients. We recommend them taking zinc, 15, 30, 60. Some people were taking 100 milligrams a day of zinc. 
If you do that continuously without taking in copper, you'll be in an imbalance and that can affect the mitochondria. So if you're on long-term zinc therapy, it's good to get RBC tag copper levels measured. So that's another thing that can be done. MK4, which is a type of vitamin K, is another supplement that can be helpful in supporting the mitochondria, especially complex three. Then there's NAR infrared and methylene blue. And those kind of work hand in hand to help support the mitochondria, especially three, complex three. And then we sometimes talk about high doses of thiamine, which is vitamin B1 and riboflavin. Both of those seem to help complex one and two. And I think molybdenum is another one that's kind of esoteric, but it, you can find it in some dietary supplements and multivitamins. You don't need a very big amount because high doses of molybdenum as well as cadmium can actually be toxic to the mitochondria. The little bit of molybdenum can actually help start mitophagy and mitophial cleaning of the house, if you say. So you never want to exceed two milligrams per day of molybdenum. And I think really I'm going to keep it that simple for dietary supplements and turn it back, Mobin. Thank you very much. So this was, I think, a, a gold mine that you just presented. What I'm going to do is if I can get a little more explanations for how these worked in this chain, it, I think it will be interesting for our doctors or provider friends to be able to understand how to and why to offer these and for general public to understand what is the role of these things. So let me quickly go to another concept here. Remember that this is our mitochondria. So this is a big mitochondria over here. Within the mitochondria, this is the inner membrane. And on the inner membrane, the, there are all these machines. Now, what happens is when we eat fuels, glucoses, proteins, lipids, these fuels make tiny little molecules that are called substrates. For example, within the cell, when the glucose arrives in the cell, there is a function we say glycolysis, breakdown of the glucose, then the end product within the cell is pyruvate. That pyruvate then enters the mitochondria and then it takes part over there in Krebs cycle or citric acid cycle. So what happens is within the mitochondria, of course, an energy a substrate production is occurring. Glucose is being broken down. Lipids are being broken down. So there are metabolisms that are happening to finally come to those small molecules that would become available to this. So keep an eye on these few structures over here, succinate, fumarate, FADH2, NADH2. And I'm going to show you a very quick diagram to kind of bring this point home. Look, this is a Krebs cycle. If you see mm -hmm. here at the top, it says pyruvate. This is the glucose finally becoming pyruvate in the cell, then this pyruvate would take part inside the Krebs cycle, inside the mitochondria. And look at these little molecules here, NAD, NADH, NAD, NADH, succinate, fumarate. So if you go back here, you would see that this is NAD, this is succinate, this is fumarate. So those substrates that are produced by the metabolism of fuels that are actually used in the electron transport chain. So there can be a set of diseases which are related to the breakdown of fuels or abnormality of breakdown of the fuels so that these 
substrates or these molecules that are going to take part in energy production are not correctly available. Or they may be available and these complexes, these enzymes are not working correctly on them. So this is one kind of disease. The second disease type is that if you see here in the center, this is the complex three. When we are making energy, we are playing with high intensity energy molecules or actually electrons, not molecules. When these electrons are moving through the system and we are trying to harvest their energy, in that process, we end up creating reactive oxygen species. We end up causing the oxygen to get extra electrons loaded on it. That extra electron loaded oxygen is really a dangerous molecule. I always think of that as a bullet. And as that bullet is fired within the cell, it can actually go and destroy the DNA. It can go and destroy the lipids. Lipids are very important construction material of a cell. And the result is our cell can start getting destroyed. And the hugely important concept, if you can just take this one concept with you today, that is if reactive oxygen species are produced in more quantity than we can handle, then these reactive oxygen species will start attacking the mitochondrial own complexes and oxidize them. So it is not necessary that these species will get out of mitochondria and hurt the cell. These will actually attack and oxidize the enzymes of the transport chain, making the transport chain unable to function correctly. So a tiny abnormality to this chain can result in a big production of reactive oxygen species, which in turn causes further destruction of the chain and the whole mitochondrial system can shut down. That's right. So then so the overdoing it, stressful situations, disruption of this increase in ROS. Uh, one of the things that's helpful also, I'll, I'll step in here and say, especially with complex three and reactive oxygen species is uh, vitamin C. So we always hear about antioxidants and uh, vitamin C is a very good antioxidant. So that's one that can be helpful in this situation, but you have to layer in other antioxidants because they kind of, if you take only one, it can disrupt the whole order of nature. So you need multiple antioxidants. One sort of hands off this oxidative load to another and regenerates itself. Absolutely. And I think, Dr. Sleepy, you would, I'm sure that you already know this. For the audience, this might be interesting. Imagine that we are someone who has the electron transport chain not working correctly. The result of that is that we are not making ATP correctly. That is one problem. So we are all fatigued and tired and muscle pains and, and difficulty in thinking and brain fog. All those things are happening. But in addition to that, because this chain is not working correctly, it has this high energy electrons going through this, these red lines, as you can see, but they are not getting converted to energy ATP, which is a safe form of energy, then there will be more ROS production. When we cannot bring the energy all the way here, then the energy that is in the system is just going to leak out in these areas as ROS. So not only we have less energy, but we also have more ROS, which is going to really destroy the tissues around. So now we have a tissue damage as well. Now think mm -hmm. about this. There is a very interesting solution here. Instead of trying to make sure that all of these complexes somehow rehabilitate very fast, which will not happen very fast, the reason for that is 
like the complexes are malfunctioning. So what you do is you use infrared light and or methylene blue because these two can directly give and take electrons from three and four. For example, methylene blue can bypass this whole part. Let's say these machines are not working. We are not getting enough electrons to be able to produce ATP. Methylene blue can step in and say, you know what? I will give you electrons. Forget about these selfish friends who are not working correctly and not giving you electrons. Let me give you electrons. So this tiny part of the machine would start working again. As soon as that starts working again, ATP production will become rehabilitated. Whenever the ATP is rehabilitated, then the remaining chain would start becoming okay as well. So that is one. Secondly, and this is such a beautiful mechanism for methylene blue, this reactive oxygen species producer, main producer of the reactive oxygen species within the mitochondrial chain is complex three. If let's say these pieces are not working correctly, energy is flowing in and then it is colliding here, it cannot go all the way to ATP, then what happens is this energy is going to become ROS, as I said before. Now, this ROS is dangerous. So we need some mechanism to start tapping this extra energy from here so it does not become ROS. Guess what helps? Methylene blue. Methylene blue can tap the electrons from complex three and prevent production of ROS. So not only we can take, as Dr. Salibi said, the vitamin C to help neutralize the ROS, but we can actually help reduce the production of ROS by methylene blue. And then the near-infrared light, it is such an interesting mechanism. What happens is that the complex four of the electron transport chain is a cytochrome. Chrome means color, just like we have uh, chloroplast in leave, plants, leaves, and that gives them a color. Similarly, we also have something that can give our mitochondria color, and that is the complex four. It is cytochrome C4 is part of it. Now, wherever we have color, we have energy absorption there. That is what color does. So when you give near-infrared light, the complex four can directly absorb the electrons and photons and directly use them, and this tiny part of the machine can start becoming kick-started again even if the remaining part is all not functioning correctly. So whenever you have a refractory mitochondrial acquired problem, not genetic, so there is an acquired problem, meaning a patient just became ill because of toxicity or because of hypoxia and oxygen problems or, or blood vascular system flow problem or clotting problems. When that happens and the patient is not able to get out of that and we cannot bring in enough things to rehabilitate their remaining chain, give them near infrared, which will kickstart the complex four, which will cause this set of the machines to start working. And final piece here, which is, I always love this one, complex four has nitric oxide stuck to it. There is some literature that says that the complex four makes nitric oxide. There is some literature that says complex four does not make nitric oxide, but it can bind to nitric oxide. And then it can release that nitric oxide whenever it needs to dilate the blood vessels. Nitric oxide is a molecule whose job is to dilate the blood vessels. So whenever mitochondria thinks that I have less energy production, I have less substrate, I have less oxygen, I need to dilate the blood vessels to bring in more you know, fluids and nutrients and oxygen, it can release nitric oxide. So when we have near-infrared light working with the complex four, the complex four would start releasing nitric oxide opening up the blood vessels and rehabilitating the whole tissue. 
this is how important these two guys are. Right. And nitric oxide is a fascinating compound. It won an investigator the Nobel Prize. And it's unfortunate to say that this fellow, one of the Nobel Prize winners, passed away this week. I don't know if you knew that, but he was one of the folks that, not. yeah, that discovered and, and researched NO for quite a bit. The other thing I want to point out is just a, a little disclaimer on methylene blue. It's a fantastic compound with a very interesting history and is kind of maybe activated by, by light, near infrared light. But I just need to warn the audience that before you go place yourself on methylene blue, which is available over the counter without a prescription, it is very wise to seek the help and management of taking this compound for your health. There are several different classes of which some are industrial, dye, some for in vitro use only. And then there is the pharmaceutical grade, USP grade, which is very clean, doesn't have any toxins in it. That, that's the one you want. But it's best to seek consultation with a physician who understands methylene blue before you kind of do it yourself. And the other one yes. I want to say is that that last complex or the, the ATP synthase is also helped along by a very simple carbohydrate or very simple sugar called D-ribose. So D-ribose is something that can be also administered as a dietary supplement to help with ATP production. It's very intricately involved with the formation of ATP. It is available over the counter but it has to be administered in gram doses, somewhere like between 5, 10, or 15 grams per day. That's a daunting amount. So again, once again, seek help with anything you're taking, whether it's CoQ10 or copper or D-ribose or any of the supplements we've mentioned here today. Seek help uh, and guidance with a clinical uh, practitioner. Absolutely. And I just want to add one more little thing here. When you were talking about copper, one important action of copper is that the there is an enzyme called superoxide dismutase. Superoxide dismutase is our natural vitamin C, meaning its job is to neutralize reactive oxygen species. And superoxide dismutase is of many types. There is a type that lives in the cytoplasm. There's a type that lives in the mitochondria. And then there is another type as well. The mitochondrial type is usually called superoxide dismutase type 2. Copper is an essential metal that is necessary for the superoxide dismutase to work correctly. So if we have a problem with copper, then our internal antioxidant mechanism will not work correctly. And now superoxide dismutase is not only essential for antioxidation for general oxidants that are produced, but it is also very much useful for immune system cells that are producing reactive oxygen species in un, um, mass to kill the pathogens. And then they need something to neutralize those bullets, those fires they start. And if we do not have correct amount of coppers, then the superoxide dismutase will not work correctly. The fires will not be taken care of correctly. And we would have another set of tissue damage while trying to take care of the problems. Yes, exactly. There are many dietary supplement companies out there that make all kinds of oral forms of SOD. Uh, they're very expensive and they're very unstable. So it's best to have your body produce what it needs and how to modulate and manage that production of uh, superoxide desmutase, SOD, than take an oral form by ingesting it orally. 
So it's best to use a bunch of angles to support your body's own ability to generate SOD. Absolutely. And talking a little bit about the CoQ10, you found this one the first and said, hey, we need to have CoQ10, which is really, really important. CoQ10 is such a central role within this electron transport chain because what it does is it takes electrons from complex one and takes electrons from complex two and brings them to complex three. So if CoQ10 is not present in the correct quantity, the electrons, these electrons will not reach here correctly and the whole machine will not work. The second thing is CoQ10 is an antioxidant as well because it can bind with the electrons. And thirdly, CoQ10 is one of the early disrupted enzymes of this chain. So when the mitochondria undergoes stress, this is the one that very quickly gets out. And when this little thing steps out of the function, then the remaining function just becomes disrupted. This is why if there is any inkling of mitochondrial damage, then CoQ10 should be one of the early ones, as Dr. Salibi said, to start becoming used. Yeah. So a little bit about CoQ10. It's a very interesting compound. It's both hydrophilic and lipophilic. In other words, it has abilities to be dissolved, if you will, in water and in lipids and in fats. That's an unusual characteristic. It is degraded very easily too. So if you have an old bottle in your medicine chest that's you know, six, 10 months old or expired, it's probably not that good. Uh, so it's something to be kept uh, fresh and also the preparation of it, uh, encapsulated it like in a gel cap might be better than in a powder form or capsule form for the integrity of CoQ10. It's interesting to also note that some of the best CoQ10 ever comes out of Japan. They know how to manufacture it. And it, it, this is, you can obtain high levels of CoQ10 from organ meats, but if you're a vegan or vegetarian, here's where tobacco plays a positive role. So they ferment tobacco leaves, produce coenzyme Q10. In Japan, they specifically grow certain tobacco uh, farms specifically for this process. In China, where they try to compete with the Japanese to produce coenzyme Q10 that's far cheaper and to flood the market, it has been uh, rumored that they would send little children out in the streets of Beijing in large cities to collect cigarette butts, to harvest the cigarette tobacco leaves that are in the cigarette butts, to then put in big vats to ferment. And that was uh, a, a story that was shared by one of the doctors, uh, Stephen Sinatra, who basically introduced the West to coenzyme Q10 with a number of books that he wrote back in the day. So it's Dr. Sinatra, no relation to the singer, was a interventional uh, preventive cardiologist. And he, again, introduced CoQ10 and L-carnitine to the West. Just a little interesting history about CoQ10. It unusual properties and the best, the best of the best comes out of Japan still today. That is excellent. That is fascinating. And then I just wanted to one more point here. In this chain, you would see there are vitamin B complexes that are very useful as well. And just a very quick, it may be for interest here, this FMN or flavin mononucleotide and then flavin adenosine dinucleotide, FADH, FMN, they are vitamin B2 
sorry, and then thiamine, which is vitamin B1, is necessary to produce the substrates from glucose and other so various metab metabolic processes that are happening within the Krebs cycle, three of the main enzymes there, they need thiamine. And so the substrate that are necessary for this chain to work, thiamine is needed for that. And the substrate that are working within the chain, we need the riboflavin and or flavin. And finally, this NADH is made from niacin, which is B3. Mm-hmm. So vitamin D complexes are such an important factor for healthy mitochondria. Absolutely. Dr. Mubin, this is a fascinating presentation you've made today. Hopefully the audience will understand ATP production and the transport chain. And please tell the audience also about your program on the FLCCC, long story short. And if you have further episodes already taped on the mitochondria. Absolutely. So thank you very much, number one, for having me. So we have been doing long story short with Dr. Bean, just like you are seeing the lectures by Dr. Salibi. The long story short, we published the 70th you know, episode last week, and we continue to make more. In those episodes, you can find them on FLCCC site and on their Odyssey channel and on Rumble channel. In those, we have talked extensively about mitochondria, mitochondrial health, methylene blues, CoQ10, sleep, autophagy, mitophagy, intermittent fasting. So there is a treasure trove of topics explained just like we did right now. And I think you would find them to be very helpful as well. Very good. So I promised the audience a way to test this. So sometimes a good clinician can take a history and physical exam and determine if there's any issues with the mitochondria. But if you need some data points and some more, something on paper, if you will, there's something called a mito swab. It doesn't require a blood draw. It's a simple test that can be conducted at home using four long Q-tips. And you do buckle scraping on the inside of your cheek. You aggressively scrape some cells. You do this four times, break it off in these little Eppendorf tubes, freeze it, and send this, the sample out to the company and they will provide a report with the Krebs cycle analysis, along with how well you're doing in all four complexes, especially complex one and four are reported every time. And then if you ask for it, they can report activity of complex two and three, and then give an analysis and then help you with, and your clinician, with what dietary supplements and what other interventions you can do to support your mitochondrial dysfunction if they find that to be the case. So it's called the MitoSwab. Ask your clinician to order that for you. And that may be helpful in determining if you have mitochondrial dysfunction and to what degree you have it. So we're going to close out today's program. I want to thank Dr. Bean once again for being so generous with his time to join me on this program. This is JP Salibi with Whole Body Health on the FLCC platform. Thank you. We'll see you next time.